Faith, family, freedom, hope, and opportunity. You're listening to Freedom Rings. I'm your host, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Well, welcome for another Freedom Rings podcast. So delighted that you're joining us and hope that you're continuing to follow on your favorite podcast service. And today we have a guest who really knows what freedom means and has grown up exercising his Bill of Rights and his love of freedom, Ronnie Barrett. Barrett Firearms, and you probably will think that sounds familiar, and yes, indeed it does, the Barrett 50 Cal. That is what Ronnie created, and thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. We are just so thrilled to have you. You know, it's so much fun to have people talk about what freedom means to them and how having our freedoms has impacted their life. Indeed, uh, only in a country like this could I have uh, been able to do the things I've been able to do. Yeah, you know, my husband and I, uh, for years, had this little ad that we tore out of a paper, and it was a light bulb, and it said, I have an idea. And then as you go through, you have all the naysayers and the bulb is dark. It's no longer a bright light. And I think as I look at your story, that is very applicable. You grew up in Murfreesboro. Yep, I was born there. And went to high school there. All public. Born and educated. Yeah, half reared, half raised, you know. So yeah, I was there all my life. And um, it's just been a wonderful place. I'm so fortunate to be born in Middle Tennessee. Absolutely, and then you have been big in giving back to Middle Tennessee. You went into the photography business as a young man. Well, I've had a job. Uh, During high school, I had a job for about six months at Delbridge Studios. It was a photography studio there in town, and uh, it was a little seasonal job. After I left there, I I started my own studio, first in the house, and they um, uh, fixed up my garage and then later on bought a little building downtown uh, that I didn't have the money for the rent but I figured I'd get there by the time the end of the month came and uh, so all of it has been like that uh, of having the faith and having the money God always provided the money just in time to be able to meet just about every need that we ever had and then it worked that way until till now still going on yeah And then in that photography studio, you grew that business, Mm -hmm. and you had a job one day to photograph a boat out on the Stones River. Yes. And let's talk about that story. That was a uh, rivering patrol boat uh, that Boston Whaler and um, and Ramo uh, Gun Manufacturing here in Nashville, uh, Ramo was building the only, only 50 cows since, I think, World War II. And so they got together and, and uh, had produced a boat. Their photographer bailed out on them on New Year's Day or something. And so Pony Maples, E.R. Maples, who owned the company, called and said, Ronnie, my, my photographer dropped out. Can you come and save us? We're photographing this gunboat down on Percy Priest Lake. Well, you can imagine what kind of strange views we got with that. But as we sat out there that day, I was looking at that big, beautiful 50, and. I was a gun guy anyway, and, and I thought I'd love to have something that would shoot that cartridge, but I can't really afford a machine gun which eats up the ammo at 650 rounds a minute. And so I told 
Mr. Maples, I said, you know, I've got this idea that if I, I might just make a semi-automatic uh, 50 cal rifle. If, if I did that, would y'all be interested in building a few and maybe we could make some money? So, you know, what do you tell a 26-year-old kid, you know? So he said, sure, you know, we'll do that. Well, I took that very enthusiastically, went home and started sketching out on my art pad uh, what each component would look like in 3D and, and all that kind of stuff as I kind of envisioned it in my head and uh, went around trying to find a machinist to make it of course they'd say well kid number one these aren't these aren't drawings they're they're some sort of sketches and and I believe all the guns are made up north aren't they you know I said well I, you know I don't know I guess they are but I finally found somebody we had a little one bay garage uh, uh, Bob Mitchell had a, I don't even know if you could pull a car into it, so maybe it was a storage shed, but he had a mill and a lathe, and I would get off, I'd close the studio at five o'clock, run down to Smyrna, Tennessee, and if I could keep him up there till two in the morning, I would, and we'd be making parts uh, in that little, in the little garage. And in four months, I had a shooting gun. So two months to draw, two months to draw it up, four months to make it, and, uh, and finding somebody that would say, not all the smart people have already done this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If somebody, if, if it was such a good idea, why wouldn't somebody smarter than you have done it? But, mm -hmm. but you know, I, and I wasn't a big smart guy. I, I made D's and F's going through high school, and uh, I was dyslexic, still am. Back then, all you knew is that you just got embarrassed a lot. But, you know, after you realize that, oh, that's what I'm doing, I see that now. But um, you know, God picks some of the most unusual people to get things done, so you'll know it was God. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so that's kind of with me. You know, I, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a great businessman, but I sure have done well. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, but I, I I don't have the big head. I know who to give the glory yeah, to. And instinct is a lot of that. And so you make the gun, and then you go to a gun show. Mm -hmm. Well, you got to sell it. You know. Yeah. And. Um, so, you know, the first, I take out a, uh, a little table at a, uh, one of the little military shows. It was the ADPA back then, the American Defense Preparedness Association. And it wasn't expensive, you know, just a little tabletop display, sometimes out in a tent. And you put it up and the, the Army guys would come by or some of the other big developers and they'd laugh at you. And they said, you know, kid, you're wasting your time because before the Army or anybody could buy anything like this, you have to first start with a, uh, a requirement document, a deficiency of some sort that requires something to be made. He said, coming out here and just showing this, you're just spinning your wheels. And you know, I said, well, you know, maybe if somebody sees it, they like it, maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll go from the bottom up instead of the top down. And um, the Association of the United States Army would be on display every year in Washington, D.C. But that booth space, back in the 80s was like $16,000 a 10 by 10 and I couldn't do that so I packed my photography van up with my rifle in it and, and uh, went to DC. <laughs> That's one of those things you wouldn't do today I guess. Yeah. But uh, walked in and I, I, I got admission into the, uh, the, the meetings and I came to where this guy had night vision um, uh, display. Back then night vision was pretty big and he'd be over across the hall from a tank or a helicopter or something like that. And, and I come over and said, you know, nobody's looking at your booth, you know, and because they're all looking at that. 
I've got a gun out in the car that if you put that night vision on, people would look at the, the night vision on this big different gun and, and maybe you could let me put a few of my brochures here. So we considered, he said, well, go get it and bring it on in. So we did and so I had a display there for free. And um, uh, well, not so for free. Opportunity. Yes. So one year goes by, and I had four. Yeah. I had four different guns on display one year, and I still couldn't afford a booth. But it eventually began to catch on. People would, uh, you know, come through and make the old joke. You know, well, what kind of squirrel gun is that? And and they'd laugh, and and then they'd come back around in about 15 minutes and say, you know, I've been thinking, if I had that, I could do this, I could do that, and they ended up selling themselves. So it wasn't long before. Uh, the Marine Corps somehow or another had a, had a rifle. The Army had a rifle. The uh, Air Force EOD had a rifle that they had purchased on um, you know, a little small operational and maintenance money. And the uh, U.S. SOCOM had a rifle. And so we were starting to go around to the different bases and demonstrating what the rifle could do. And it was like nothing anybody had ever seen before. So when the, um, uh, the, the first call for Desert Storm came out, Everybody was all pumped and ready to, to move. The Marine Corps uh, bought 100 rifles uh, on the signature of the Commandant. That then allowed some of the Army, the Army guys and the SOCOM guys say, hey, we'd like, we'd like that new Marine Corps gun. So let's send our money over to the Marine Corps, let them buy us another 100 or 250 or whatever. And so it goes. The, so the, um, the, the rifle got bought the way I thought it would. If you make a good product, you know, and show it and offer good service, the, the business will come. And having freedom mm -hmm. and the opportunity to dream those big dreams mm -hmm. is what really elevated this and yes, gave you the opportunity. It really is. So, and Barrett Firearms is located in Rutherford County. In Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And it The center of the universe, you know. <laughs> yeah, center of the there state. There you go, center <laughs> of the state. You're right on it. And now you employ how many people and make how mm. many guns a year? We, uh, you know, we're still a small little company. We bounce between 100 to 130 direct jobs. And then there's another 300 Tennessee ancillary jobs with subcontractors and things like that. So it's, uh, and how many we make, uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't even know that, but we got, our gun eventually got adopted by the U.S. government and 70 other different governments. So, you know, from the U.K. to Germany to, to France to everybody, you know, it's, we ended up bringing more foreign money to Tennessee than I think anybody would have ever imagined. And, uh, and it's been a real great ride. That's well, and this is something I think is important. You just mentioned the 70 other governments. And as we talk about how we as Americans support freedom, fight for freedom, we also help other countries fight for their mm -hmm. freedom. That's right. Uh, we don't go in and overtake them, but we help them. And other countries learn from what our military divisions do. Mm -hmm. And then they come as close to that as they can. So that foreign military sales is something that you participate in. Oh, Other countries much. want much. what you are making here. That's right. Made in the USA. That's right. And, and so we can get, I can go anywhere in the world and uh, just say, I'm, I'm Ronnie Barrett with Barrett Firearms. They go, I know you, I shot this or, 
my son was in the service and we shot their gun for, in their service. So it's, mm -hmm. it's been a magnificent ride to be able to be of service to some of the finest men and women. And those are the ones that are defending our nation and our allies' nation. And Ronnie, how many different versions of the 50 cal do you have? Uh, the original gun that I did when I was 26 is two, I think, on that. Now, along the line, there have been one government might have this modified a little bit differently, but it's still basically the same gun. But there's really kind of two, one that is sound suppressor capable and one that is not. They look identical. Uh, it's just got a little bit different operating system in it. So uh, of that. But now of the other models, uh, we also have uh, the Model 95. It's a bolt action bullpup 50 caliber rifle. It got adopted by Spain and Japan. So that's yet another Mm -hmm. Totally different version. We have a Model 99 that was a, a civilian target recreational gun that my son Chris and I designed, mostly him. Then, um, then we have, most recently, and quite surprising, this is not a 50 cal rifle, but it's a, um, a bolt action tactical rifle that was designed by my son Chris that ended up being, I'll have to say, the most accurate rifle in the world. It is just. Um, he, he worked on it and worked on it and spent more money and more money. You know, he said, Dad, you know, if, if we're going to make the size hits we need at 1,500 meters, they all have to go in the same hole at 100 meters. Uh, well, yeah, that's right, because if you, if you shoot a one-inch group at 100 meters, then at, at 1,500 meters, that'll be 15 inches, and you might miss your target at 15, at 15 inches. Mm -hmm. So he worked and tweaked and... and, um, uh, and got a little bit of more accuracy here and a little more there and everything. So so after it was all over, he it did produce the most accurate rifle and we'd carry it to a country. Norway was one of the first ones to pick up on that. New Zealand, Israel. And now the United States has just adopted Chris Barrett's gun. He now and you're becomes the first father son duo. First father son. Yeah. I was the fourth guy in the last one hundred years to have his gun, his rifle adopted by the government. And my son Chris becomes the fifth man to have his rifle adopted by the U.S. government. So that's, that's kind of fun. And Chris, in developing his rifle, has helped solve another problem that the U.S. military has with just-in-time parts and yes. having yeah. parts deposed. It and, is. Yeah. Yeah, his rifle is, um, it's very unique, it's very modular. And so when we thought, well, who's gonna be the, the depot on this? Who's gonna be the, where the maintenance gonna be done? And, and the services look at it and go, we don't need any. This thing can be, the man in the field can change anything out without any specialty equipment. Which keeps our troops safe. Yes, it is. And allows them faster response time. Yep. So I think that is so vitally important. Let me ask you, uh, about this too because you don't just work all the time. You and Donna have been very involved not only in Rutherford County but in the state and you also serve on the uh, NRA board. Yes, National Talk a little bit about your NRA board service. That has been a, uh, a great introduction. Uh, you just don't know, I didn't know how wonderful, how great the NRA is. Uh, of course, it's the, the world, I guess it's the world's oldest civil rights organization. It's over 150 years old. 
and uh, we have uh, great programs from disability programs to safety training, police training, marksmanship, range grants, uh, just all sorts of things that we do, scholarships. So it is a huge organization and we have five million members. Now, I don't know why we don't have 100 million members because you know there's about 100 million uh, people in the United States that own firearms and I think they ought to all be members of the NRA. So or anyway, how to use their gun? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> right. And um, but we we have just fantastic pro for museums. Um, uh, we've got uh, different museums in Fairfax, and then another one in Missouri, and, and things like that of some of the uh, more collectible things from the m famous movie guns. To, uh, it's just the NRA is a fantastic thing. Where we've had a um, a convention uh, or an annual meeting in Nashville a few years ago and it was scheduled to be back in, in 2020 back to Nashville. Mm -hmm. And whenever we meet like that, it'll be about 80 to 85,000 of some of the best people you've ever wanted to meet, uh, people that, that come together for three days and look at the exhibits and, uh, and hear great speakers and, mm -hmm. and get training and things. So the NRA has been a fantastic thing. I've served on the board now for board of directors since 2009, mm -hmm. and uh, I think we do a real good job. Well, we appreciate what you do to defend the Second Amendment and also what you are doing to teach young men and women how to properly use a firearm. So as we wrap up, what does freedom mean to you? What does it allow for you? It has, you know, if I was born in another country uh, that may have a caste system, is that the correct yeah. word? Uh, yeah. You know, I'd still be in my dad's cabinet shop. Uh, wouldn't have been able to get out of that. That would be, I would be doing what I was born into. Instead, all along I felt that you could be anything you wanted to be. If, uh, if you're an American and if you dream that you want that, and if you want it bad enough, you'll get it. Uh, that, that this opportunity to be able to uh, 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 become whoever you'd like to become, as long as the government will stay out of the way, and I think as far as a lot of governments go, we still do a nice job of doing that. Uh, you might feel like that the government gets in the way a lot, but you see some other countries uh, and you realize we've still got it pretty good. Yeah. But uh, uh, the freedom to travel, to go uh, from state to state, to travel to other, other friendly countries uh, and not, not have to worry about it, uh, that's, that's just amazing. It's just great. I, I hope we always maintain that. This mm -hmm. seems like some of the stuff that's happening in today, some things are getting upside down. You know, what was viewed as, as wrong is now being viewed as right uh, and, and vice versa. And, and I'll tell you, our capitalistic way of, of, um, of, of doing business and what our founding fathers put forward for us, that's the right path, that's the right uh, the right direction for us to continue being on. And, um, and let's not recolor history into um, uh, trying to wipe that out and, and substitute our good way of doing things with something else. Right, freedom, free people, and free markets That's solve right. a lot of problems. That's right. Thank you so much for joining us for Freedom Rings podcast. I'm Marsha Blackburn, and uh, keep up with us. You're going to find us at your favorite podcast provider, Ronnie Barrett, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Freedom Rings. You can follow me on Twitter at Vote Marsha, Facebook at Marsha Blackburn for Senate, and on Instagram at Team Marsha. And you can always find us online at MarshaBlackburn.com. The Freedom Rings podcast is edited and produced by Jared Cummings. Executive producers are Conservative Partnership Center and Marsha Blackburn. Together, we make Freedom Ring.